and welcome to another episode of What I Wish I'd Known, the Google Partners Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Langshire. Now, I think it's pretty safe to say that there's a widespread recognition that Google is a marketing machine. They built an awesome brand, they're executing across multiple product fronts, and they're doing all of this at scale. So wouldn't it be awesome if we could pull back the curtain and get insight into not just the what, but also the how that Google markets? What if we were a fly on the wall and had the opportunity to learn some of the marketing secrets from Google? Or even better, what if these were boiled down and sharpened up so that they are the types of things that we as agencies that maybe don't have the size, staff, scale, budget that Google has could use? That's why we have Fab Dolan, the head of Google Marketing in Canada, as our guest today. Fab is a marketing thought leader who's carved out a niche as a translator of how Google's global product and service marketing strategies map to the specific needs of their partner agencies. I'm stoked to have you on the podcast. Welcome, Fab. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. I'm really excited for this. (laughs) Same here. So, Fab, before we begin, maybe you can just give us a little bit of your backstory. How'd you get to where you are? Yeah, (laughs) I don't think anybody can really figure that out. I, I think I describe my role within Google as being a specialist in being a generalist. And so effectively, being a country manager within Google, you get to touch on a little bit of everything, all of Google's products, whether they may be B2C, whether it's in the B2B space, so you think ads, you think cloud, you think hardware, YouTube, so on and so forth. And I got to that space actually coming from a very traditional marketing role and marketing background. I was classically trained on brands like Cheerios, Green Giant, Nature Valley, uh, and then did the digital thing for a little bit, and that became the segue to Google. And you know, been here ever since. Always in Canada, but uh, the nice thing about Canada is you get to see a bit of uh, all of Google, in part because it's such a high priority market. Well, that's a it's a great backstory, uh, Fab, and I'm really interested. I think our, our listeners are really interested in hearing. You know, if we were to kind of think about how Google markets and how it does so in ways that would be applicable to the operations and things that agencies do, you know, what might you share to them about some of these best practices that Google has developed? Yeah, I think. The first part is just setting the the context for, well, what is Google marketing? I think that's the the number one question I get at cocktail parties because, well, I don't go to a lot of cocktail parties, but if I was in the theoretical or metaphorical cocktail party, people typically ask me, well, what is Google marketing? I mean, doesn't everybody already use Google search? You effectively don't need a a marketing team, right? And uh, that's not necessarily the case even for search, but it's certainly not the case when you think about all of the new innovation that happens with a lot of our products and the new spaces that we're entering. So that might be uh, trying to establish the future of the Google experience, which is things like getting people to use Chromebooks, buy Google Home for the first time and introduce them to that category, buy and use Google Pixels and the rest of the Android ecosystem, watch more YouTube, pay for subscription services on YouTube or on Google Play, download books and movies and uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, And that's not even touching uh, what we do in areas of what we would call brand and reputation. Uh, Other teams or other companies might call it corporate social responsibility. So for example, in Canada, we're helping uh, and investing to teach kids across the country to code. We're we're part of some of the largest mentorship programs for startups in the country, getting women and other underrepresented groups into technology. The list goes on and on and on. And I still haven't mentioned anything in B2B and, and the ad space, right? So 
I think the, you know that's the that's the level set of like the what. Yeah. So these are the, the the products that we touch on, and then if you think about that, if you're an agency or if you're uh, a practitioner or a client um, trying to map this back to kind of what you do, depending on the product, you can see that there's so much diversity in that. Uh, you have a different audience. You have a different business challenge, a different uh, market maturity or product maturity. And so the type of marketing we do is very, very different. So in some cases, we're doing, you know, at scale awareness building marketing that is much more similar to what you see from the Procter and Gambles and General Motors and Fords of the world mm -hmm. spending big bucks trying to land consumer devices. But on the other opposite end of the scale, for example, I've got a team uh, in Toronto here who is trying to develop thought leadership for marketers to try to get them to hone their craft. And they do so with content marketing and uh, influencer marketing. They're developing research and white papers. And, you know, their day-to-day -day is just trying to grow our email subscription base, trying to get people to engage with our content a little bit more, building apps and trying to get people to download those and so on. And the kind of budgets and the kind of tactics there are wildly different from what you would have on some of those bigger campaigns. So in many ways, I feel like, you know, ill-equipped to describe, you know, all of Google uh, to everybody. But I think that's the, that's the main thing is that there's, there's all of this diversity. But when it comes down to it, we're kind of always on the search for one thing. And the one question that keeps coming up over and over again, regardless of the context, is what matters? Right. And, and what do I mean by that? Well, uh, you know, the first four, whether it's a big campaign with a big budget or it's a small campaign, we're looking for moments that matter. So this is, you know, this is language we've actually used before externally. And so hopefully people already kind of are well attuned to this. Yeah. But we're trying to look for all of those places where our products and services will be relevant, where we can uh, shift someone's perception. And we can do that um, in kind of big moments and small moments. But we're trying to find those moments that matter. Well, it's interesting to hear you say this because Google... Uh uh, you know, I've been around the block a bit, and I know that Google pushed a lot the idea of the moments that matter. And the thing that really kind of immediately sparks for me is this concept of, so Google's using its own research for its own marketing. It's, it's saying, okay, we believe in this concept of the moments that matter at that time, but we are still pushing forward on that today. And so it raises a question for me is, is do you, you know, eat your own dog food in, in that uh, the ideas and the approaches that you're bringing to market that you're telling your partner agencies to do, you're doing the same thing. So you're using the same tools, you're using the same approaches, uh, you know, writ large, but there's kind of not a lot of light between those. If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Yeah, we absolutely are. I mean, this is best in class marketing. You can, you know, we've summed it up in this phrase as the, the moments that matter, but really it comes down to something that marketers have been trying to do for, for decades and decades, which is say, you know, what's the insight? You know, what's actually going to move the needle here? Where's the pain point for the user? And the only difference in, in the language about moments that matter that I think helps is it helps set that in the context of a mobile wor world, a world that's driven by technology, and one where we just have a lot more signals and a lot more opportunities to gather intel. So for us, you know, on bigger campaigns, that certainly looks like full-fledged research and development, trying to map out the full user journey and trying to think through, okay, what are we trying to do on this product? We're trying 
trying to build consideration for our phone within this you know, established category, let's say. Uh, so we're doing foundational research uh, to figure out who our target demographic and psychographic is. Then we're using that to then build up what we think the right media vehicles might be. And then within those media vehicles, what are the types of behaviors? Uh, what are they likely to be consuming on YouTube? The types of things they're likely to be reading? Where do they over-index in terms of uh, what we would call off-network, but is really just describing Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, all the other options that are uh, out there. And so, you know, so that's a big campaign and we're doing all that kind of stuff, which leads into, by the way, the creative journey, because not all of this is a science. I and mean, we love to have it as, you know, just something that the machine spits out to us and says, okay, here's your media buy. But the reality is it informs as much the creative strategy where we're trying to kind of hone that, especially in, in cases where we're picking more experiential tactics or events and and so on. Uh, so that's on a big level, sure. For a, for a pixel campaign where I probably shouldn't talk actual numbers here, where we're spending millions, <laughs> um, and we've got those. Um, that's that's the type of thing that we're doing. But you know, for example, so we did a much smaller launch for some phone cases uh, in Canada quite recently, and we were trying to figure out where the right aperture was and the right partners, uh, and and subsequently the campaign. And so for us, mapping that. Uh, understanding of the user and therefore the moments that matter to them started with using one of our tools called Google Consumer Surveys. And we were running surveys with Canadians trying to understand not just what they thought about the features of different uh, smartphones in the category, but what their emotional connection was and the words that they were using to describe the different various brands in in the category. And then once we took that, so that was a you know piece of research that we we fielded, our lead researcher told me, because uh, we just hired him from another uh, space. He's like, I think this would have probably cost me $50,000 externally. Um, Fab, I need your credit card to expense $2,000. So I was, I was happy about the savings, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was even happier because what came back was this really rich understanding of the emotional connections to some of our competitor brands. And then we used that to map it to certain retailers and trying to figure, okay, which retailers could we partner with that also kind of share this? And, and so we're going to, in the case of this particular execution, we're going to borrow from their brand a little bit. We want to be in these spaces that in, you know, in this case, it's sort of tied to luxury and beauty and some of these other things that historically, you know, some of our devices haven't been tied to as much emotionally. So that was, that's an example of a very, very small thing. In addition to what you can just take out of the box and uh, within AdWords and uh, and so on, and just being able to think through, you know, the types of queries and, and keywords and so on that your type of customer is kind of thinking about. So you're, you're leveraging the Google tool set uh, to inform your campaigns and to execute your campaigns. Now, I kind of got a question for you. I mean, do you work with creative agencies? A lot of this sounds, or maybe I'm interpreting here, but is this largely self-driven or do you involve other agencies either in the development of the messaging or the execution of the campaigns or is this, does Google do all this in-house? We actually do work with agencies. You know, if you look at the majority of the work that we're doing, we're involving agencies in some way. And we actually have a couple agencies that we have a really deep partnership with, and they're helping us on our largest campaigns, but also developing alongside us the thought leadership of what best-in-class marketing is at Google. And and we work with agencies both on the media side, but also uh, creative. I think what's uh, unique about Google marketing that, I really learned when I first came here years ago is that the one thing we try to do 
not very often uh, or, or at all, uh, is outsource the strategy. So it's okay to involve an agency in building the strategy. And we have some very strategic, thoughtful agencies who help us. But what I found in my past life was that oftentimes we'd hit a business challenge and the role of the marketer seemed like write a good brief, give that to your agency and have them come back to you with the strategy, then have them come back to you with the creative plan, then have them come back to you with the media plan, then have them report on measurement. And you sort of beg the question, like, what is your actual role in this process and what value are you adding? And I think we're much more hands-on than other organizations, uh, and we expect our agencies to be hands-on too. So there's this really rich partnership. And so some of what I'm describing is done uh, internally. So for example, the, the research example that I gave with Google Consumer yep. Surveys, that was, that's my own person in-house. And that's not, and a lot of his work is trying to figure out how do I build the capabilities internally with our team? so that when we're using, uh, for example, a research house, it's where you're doing it with a really uh, kind of thoughtful purpose and it's worth the, the dollars and we're saving them for the really value-added stuff. And so he's doing that on his own. But then there are other things, for example, where absolutely, you know, when we did a global segmentation for Google Pixel, that's our internal folks working with external folks as well. And, uh, and the same could be said in media and creative and, and many different areas. I think just to put a finer point on that, I think the one thing that we do, that we have created is centers of excellence within the marketing team. So we probably have a couple thousand marketers at Google at this point and within media and within creative and within social, some of these areas uh, we have created, you know, so for example, media lab uh, and brand lab and uh, social lab and so on. So these are pockets within Google where we've carved aside some of our headcount to create these centers of excellence. If I boil that back down to when I was working, you know, at General Mills, let's say with a much smaller team uh, and, and so I'm trying to, you know, uh, give a, a roadmap here for your much smaller organization, you should at the very least have your social expert and your overall like media and measurement expert and your creative expert, the person that you're developing a little bit more in some of these areas so they can uh, be a specialist within the organization. So we do do that uh, a fair bit. That's what you can do when you have the, the resources to dedicate some of these larger teams, but they do a lot of work on their own uh, as well as working with agencies. Well, you know, so you talk about resourcing, and I, I guess the <laughs> the question that a lot of people would be thinking that's on their mind is that, you know, not everybody has budgets like Google has, but I'm sure that even Google has limits on its budgets too. So, you know, when you're looking at your marketing campaigns and you have <laughs> basically every channel open to you, you know, how do you, how do you start deciding uh, how much you're going to put against what? what what's the, some of the process that you use around that? Well, so let me tackle this in, in two different areas. So at the top, I started saying, okay, we pay attention to the things that matter. Well, the, the actual, the, the three things that I wanted to list, so it's the moments that matter, right. it's the metrics that matter. So this focus on measurement. And then the third is focusing our time on what matters. And I'll touch on, on, on that in a second, but sure. so the First, I want to debunk a little bit of your your point there. Uh, so I do have I have programs and campaigns where we're spending a ton of money. I've got you know, for example, I asked one person on our team. She's working on some of these programs where she's teaching kids to code across the country, and she's got her new campaign kind of being built up. And when you look at the scale of the STEM problem, um, you know, STEM education yeah. in, in science and math and and engineering and so on in Canada, and what we need to do if we're really going to make a meaningful impact here and change the trajectory of like where Canadian education 
application is. That is a massive scale effort. You need many different partners and so on. She's doing this on a, on a budget that is comparable to probably what a uh, kind of small to medium sized business could afford for their marketing campaign. So Erica, my team, if she listens to this, thank you very much for all your hard work. And I'm so sorry to put you in this position. Well done, Erica. Um, <laughs> but so, so we do have, we're often faced with this. And I think there's, there's a couple ways that you go about it. So the first is, again, thinking about the moments that matter. And then I'll go back to focusing your time what matters. And I get asked this question a lot um, by our advertisers. Hey, I see a lot of pixel ads on TV. So you're telling me that TV works, right? Well, yeah, I mean, every marketing lever works uh, within context. But we always start with, you know, our smallest campaigns are often making use of, you know, very cost-effective direct response marketing. And so, yeah, a Google Pixel campaign that we all have seen and all have general awareness of is going to be on many different channels and feel like, wow, Google has a lot of resources. But a Google Wi-Fi campaign has a fraction of those resources. And so I've got to be very, very thoughtful about where we spend dollars on uh, on that. And that isn't a big budget awareness building uh, campaign. It's much more about working through the purchase funnel and getting those people that are already online, raising their hands on Google search, um, using YouTube, where we have those strongest signals about our users and being there in those moments that matter. I think that's the the key. In, and actually, it's the key to understanding our campaigns. But really, for me, it's become a philosophy over the years about how we plan our media. It's just, you know, it, it seems like a no brainer to me that we would always start with, well, where do we have the most amount of information? So that's the the first principle. The second principle is back to this point about focusing your time on what matters. And I think one of the things that we've been fairly aggressive about over the last couple of years as a marketing team globally is been a lot more focus on things like uh, hygiene, iteration, and automation. And, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is spending the, our time on the things that have the clearest goals and tightest briefs, uh, making sure that we're setting up all of the automated reporting that needs to be done and so on. So that we're just not getting tripped up by, we're not putting ourselves in a situation where it feels like we have little resources, but in actuality, our process is just a bit cumbersome. Um, but the bigger yeah. part has been a lot more use of automation to help us, um, whether that is in the actual execution of campaigns and, and, and buying uh, of media, or, or actually implementation of creative increasingly okay. uh, and reporting. So I think that's the way that you can really punch above your weight um, as a small business and a smaller agency these days is put the time in up front and use the tools and you're able to operate um, as if you were a much larger agency because the tools are finally in place now to be able to allow us to, to reach so many users kind of in those specific moments uh, with a lot of precision. Yeah. Well, I, I hear you on that. And I agree that tools have never been better and uh, more robust. My question to you is about uh, the iteration on the creative side. And you talked a little bit about that, you know, hygiene iteration and automation. Can you expand a little bit more about iteration and, and what Google does at the iterative level? And I imagine that you're talking about iterating the creative messaging and the audience targeting. And is, is that right? Or Yes. Yeah. So, 
there's no perfect plan to this. So there's no like one Google strategy for for how to iterate. And we've borrowed a lot of folks from from product and people from agile learning backgrounds and, and so on. And so I find that different pockets of Google do this in different ways. But what I increasingly see right now is this desire to learn on a day-to-day basis as opposed to put out large pieces of work in sort of once in time of kind of big moments sort of fashion. So, you know, example of this from uh, from our team last year was this YouTube campaign that by and large most people would have seen. It was a campaign called Women to Watch. Uh, we were it was a locally grown campaign trying to support women creators uh, on the platform and build up their channels. And you know, for a lot of Canadians who saw this, this was something that oh great yeah they launched it in November and December timing. There was a big PR drumbeat around it and uh, and a media campaign on YouTube uh, as well. Uh, and they did some things in in social and, and in events. Right. That seems like what it was. Well, in actuality, the campaign started for me in uh, kind of the previous March, April timing. And what we were doing was starting to see the kind of the earliest tests of this campaign. And we actually did it in product first. So we took the media channel for us that we control the most. And so we were doing things subtly within product to try to get some of those early insights about the categories that were going to work for this campaign. And so we took that and said, okay, these are the the focus area categories for us. And then we used GDN to actually start testing some messaging against those categories. We learned a little bit and felt like we had some learnings that were fairly directional at that point that we could start building an actual campaign. We started building a campaign with an agency and that led to us needing, well, we hit another dead end and felt like, oh, we have this big question here. Let's answer this through qualitative work. So we pulled together some focus groups. By this time, you're kind of into September timing. So we've been testing all along the way, at which point then we started doing format tests. So we were testing both our network and other uh, kind of off-network ads for us to see for this specific campaign, for these specific goals, which ad formats are working harder. And then, so by the time that's all said and done, we're finally ready to go with a much bigger campaign in the fall. But I felt so much more confident going into that campaign in in November uh, than I would when we started. And I think back to the way that I used to build my marketing in kind of more of a traditional space. I would have spent eight months just building that thing and getting it perfect and launching it once. Uh, you know, Fab, I want to come back to something you talked about a little bit earlier on when we were talking about, you know, what you should focus on, focusing on the moments that matter, focusing on the metrics that matter, and focus your time on what matters. Let's just talk about the metrics that matter. What are some of the metrics that, that Google pays a lot of attention to when it's doing marketing? This is an interesting one because we've really been trying to address this in an earnest way internally and trying to figure out how do we get better at measurement on a uh, direct response campaign trying to get people to subscribe for uh, for a YouTube subscription service? How do we get better at measuring the impact of some of our retail design changes within a Best Buy? How do we better measure our uh, ads events and so on? And while there's no one metric that comes to mind, there is definitely a kind of hierarchy of the of ones that I think we should be more focused on as marketers. And what we found as we've started to look at this uh, more closely over the last couple of years is that so much of our marketing measurement kind of philosophy was actually stuck on campaign analysis 
and kind of low-level reporting. And what I mean by that is that we were focused so much more on just getting reports on data that was accessible to us as opposed to measuring the things that really move the business. So we were very good at measuring our click-through rates and cost per acquisition and unique paid views and percentage of new visits and all that kind of good stuff. But we weren't as good at really having thoughtful discussions about what the lifetime value of our customer was. Mm -hmm. Are we actually really meaningfully changing the perception of our products in country? And, uh, you know, we have one person internally who talks about, you know, the thing that he always wants to measure is joy. I want to measure how much joy our products are bringing people on a day-to-day basis. And you're like, okay, how the heck do I measure joy? Um, and and so that, that conversation became really, really interesting. And so for us, we've we started to think about this as, you know, if you think about it in a two-by-two, you can think about like in the bottom right-hand corner, it's the things that are super tactical and real-time. Uh, and the things in the top right-hand corner are the things that are super strategic and are probably on a six-month or like a yearly interval. And in terms of the things that add value uh, really for the long-term health of the business and the thing that your CMO should be paying attention to and that should be a regular point of conversation if you're a smaller uh, company between you know the head of your agency and the CEO, you know, whoever's in a decision-making position like that, it should be those things in the top right. And you go back to the conversation that we were having about focusing our time on on what matters. Increasingly, it's that bottom right-hand corner or the things at the very least to the left that are um, much more real-time and tactical and weekly and, and so on. It's Those are the things that you should be automating. Those are, should be the automated reports that we set up with basic hygiene and you're getting those on a regular interval. And so I don't think we're by any stretch of the imagination kind of have having had this solved already. I don't think it's a thing that you actually do solve. I was telling my team the other day uh, because they're they're really struggling on this in terms of some of our B two B events. Right. You know, we're we're good at ac- when when we're trying to do acquisition. So when we're trying to identify a lead and then pull them into our funnel, give them one or two touch points, finally invite them to an event, and so on. We're actually much better at measurement. There's a lot of good tools that exist externally for that, and we've been uh, pretty good users of those over time. But I think we would probably say we struggle um, a lot on when someone is already a customer of Google, how do we measure the impact of some of that B2B marketing? That becomes a little bit more challenging for us. Mm -hmm. And so I was saying to our team locally, look, like on this particular campaign, on this particular event, I just wanted us to get, you know, two or 3% better and we'll get two or 3% better the next time, let's say, but we just always want to be improving and constantly moving up the, uh, that value chain away from telling me. So in the case of an event, for example, it's, you know, how many people came to the event, how much percentage of our revenue was represented by the audience, things that are really, you know, okay, they're easy to measure, but do they really make me change my behavior as a marketer? Do they really change the trajectory of my business? No. And so we've been trying to move up the value chain. And so that's the that's the same, I think, whether you're thinking about an event in the B2B space or you're thinking about 
hey, I've got this new app and I want a million people to download it. And what are the types of things that I'm uh, kind of optimizing uh, my measurement for? And more importantly, what are the conversations that I'm having with my agency about our measurement? Well, you know, I'm going to, if we're on the topic of measurement, I'm going to push a little bit further and, and say that one of the things that we encounter quite frequently is the request for clients about attribution. And it means a lot of things to a lot of different people, I understand. But if we're just going to focus it on on my digital spend and being able to relate that back, any comments or any thoughts about what, what Google's doing on that aspect of attribution? And you were just talking about B2B and, and you know, there's a lot of challenges there with figuring out attribution. So any thoughts you can share? What I see when we're getting it wrong or um, when we're working with our customers, some of our largest customers and trying to help them, it tends to be, again, thinking uh, you know, back to the business and you know, what are the higher order conversations that we should be having and what really is a dictator of lifetime value and, uh, and so on. And so what often is the case in terms of attribution is that someone is thinking too short-term and too tactical. So we're focusing on the thing that we can measure the most. Um, so, f- you know, for example, in the digital space, it's often you know, you know, a lot of companies that are focused, uh, especially small businesses, on their model of thinking is really about last-click attribution. Yeah. So whatever the last ad was that someone clicked on to bring me to this website, to bring me to the, the app, et cetera, that is the thing that is working the hardest. Meanwhile, it could be, you know, the thing that first allowed for that discovery. And so you would have never clicked on that ad on GDN if you hadn't, you know, weeks ago seen that that video on YouTube or something like that. And so that's the thing, you know, it, it becomes art and science. You know, there's certainly tools for it within uh, GA, for example, and other uh, tools. And, um, and you do have to have a sense of what is our model going to be uh, for any given part of the business. But so conceptually as a framework, if you can, again, not focus on the thing that's necessarily the most measurable in the most real time and instead focus on kind of what might be the most kind of meaningful long term that that tends to to have uh, to bear the most fruit in terms of of attribution for us and it's even actually in the measurement space like for example we've done some tests on you know so for example youtube has a a new tool called brand lift so if you're running any youtube ads there's a uh, tool called brand lift that is you know effectively uh, fielding real time focus groups uh, after your campaign runs against the control group and uh, and the test group uh, to try to determine things like brand recall and awareness and uh, and so on from your ads and we're able to see if there's a a lift in awareness and consideration and all these things and we had sort of arbitrarily set the date for when we would feel that we would feel that automatically right after the campaign and we notice a certain level of lift and and we've done some tests and what we actually saw is that when we started doing sort of a more always on approach and testing that awareness over time is that we actually saw that there was a, like a, a lag uh, to some of the, the lifts that we've seen and that even six weeks plus after the campaign, we were seeing these lifts in in ad recall and, and awareness of the, the campaign and the brand and, and so on. And it was just, you know, we didn't know it before and we were operating on, on kind of bad data because we just sort of arbitrarily set it. And so I think that's the other thing about these attribution tools is that very often, you know, they're they're great for a lot of things, but like any other tool, it depends on what you're trying to build, and uh, and it's much more about thinking about what you uh, what the strategy is that is, should really be the focus. And so for us, we've actually changed that uh, type of measurement that we do for for brand ads. 
Well, yeah, I asked the question because a lot of times there's a focus on tools. And so it's refreshing to hear that, you know, your approach is both tool-based, but it's also approach-based, which is great. I want to ask a question here. You talked earlier on about uh, how you deal with a lot of your, your larger clients. And so I imagine you have a lot of CMOs that are coming up to you and you're asking you about uh, for guidance and direction or what, what Google's take on something. So what, what exactly are CMOs asking you about? What, what, where do their concerns lie now with regards to digital and digital marketing? I think the number one thing on, on everybody's mind uh, is complexity. It feels like there isn't a week that this job and the and jobs like these uh, don't get harder. <laughs> and so you're really asked, you know, so maybe I'm sharing too much out of school here. Well, our PR team's going to go nuts over some of this. But when we were doing some of these measurement audits and started looking at what we were doing, just from a basic hygiene standpoint, what are we reporting up to our CMO? She was getting something like 80 or 90 KPIs on a regular basis that she had to understand from every part of the business. And so what we were doing was creating a tremendous sense of complexity and creating this environment where it was actually very hard to make decisions between one area of the business and another. And we got into all of these debates about what is really adding value. And if you have a million dollars of incremental marketing budget, or if you have $50,000 of incremental marketing budget, whatever it might be, where do you spend money? Is it this product over here, which has this KPI? Or is it that campaign over here that has this completely different KPI? And so there's no way to actually make sense of it all. And, and I think it's that complexity that is really getting to, uh, to, to CMOs. Mm-hmm. And you're getting stuck in really having a lot of the tools kind of lead the conversation. And so if we can actually flip things back and think about what things matter. So our CMO should probably be getting, you know, reported up to her five or six different KPIs. So you go back to, you know, that person in our organization talks about measuring joy like you know if we can find a way to measure that great that should be one of the the kpis whatever that might be right and so if we can bring a little bit more simplicity in the world it makes it a little bit more obvious what types of campaigns to invest in what types of products to invest in where to to reinvest and how do you judge if something's moving kind of well or 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 not so well so the, the overarching theme i'd say is complexity and then of course from a more like practical perspective you know the questions that come to mind are you know how do i maintain the uh, kind of like awareness or, or or stay present and and be in those moments that matter with users that are really cutting across even more media than they've consumed before and even more fragmented than before and then probably the second question that they always have is okay tell me about machine learning and all of these new tools and and what do i need to know about and 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 and, and cloud computing and, and kind of all the rest well, of it that, that's probably at least two or three podcasts but uh, if, I get, if <laughs> yeah. I get one more one more uh, uh, question into you before we close. Um, you know, you're just talking about the new technologies and you talk about moments that matter. And I'm thinking about voice and the voice as being a key change, fundamental change in the user experience and how we interact and engage. Um, can you give us any thoughts about about voice and moments that matter and, and how that might start to shift some of your marketing? Yeah. Uh, well, voice is going to grow much faster than we all think it will. 
Um, I think it's going to be one of these trends, much like mobile, that it's sort of you know present in the early days, and, and the folks who are closest to it can kind of see that it's on the horizon. But I think it will surprise us. We're already seeing fairly dramatic growth rates in in most markets, where you know if you go back just a couple of years, it was in the low single digits the percentage of search that we uh, saw coming through voice. I don't know the exact number, and I wouldn't be allowed to tell if I if I did, uh, but I can tell you that it's significant, and it does. You know, a few things. There's no product announcements to be made here in terms of any sort of you know, ad integration or anything like that into channels that are related to voice. So th- that's not my expertise or, or my domain. But what I will say is think about the user and the way that it changes things for you when you now use voice as the thing that mediates the conversation uh, or the engagement between you uh, and something like Google search. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're seeing is that people are mo- a lot more conversational. Uh, they're a lot more vague. Uh, they're asking for things that we've never seen them uh, ask before. And so, in the short term, it does you know changes your relationship with Google in the sense that uh, you know what used to be written in sort of this Google speak is now written in a much more general language. So if I was a small advertiser, I'd be thinking less about specific keywords and and campaigns and thinking much more about what is our broader kind of matching strategy and what are the kind of the higher level conversations that someone have if I was just having a conversational thing as opposed to sort of hunting through Google for a much more specific product category or or keyword, let's say. Um, So I'd be thinking about that and thinking about things like search coverage. But that's like the near-term thing. I think long-term, it's hard to know what the the real avenues that it'll bring up for marketers, but I think it will set this baseline expectation of assistance as the new default posture or the new default value that every business and every brand has to bring to the table. If you look at the mobile and what was done on the operating systems on mobile as kind of setting the benchmark and the standard for how every brand had to come to market in terms of their mobile website and their app and so on and what was good and what was best in class. I think what we're starting to see now from some of these virtual assistants and what's being done through voice is again going to set the standard for what is great customer service, what is a good user experience, et cetera, et cetera, for this age of assistance that uh, that we will all uh, be a part of. Well, on that note, Fab, I'm going to wrap this up and I want to start off by saying that was just awesome. I really appreciate you trying to bring to the fore a lot of what Google's doing on on the marketing side, but also make it relevant to a lot of our listeners by how they can apply it to their, their day-to-day work. So that was just great. Well, thank you for, for having me. And um, what would be some of the resources or, or, or areas that you might suggest they look to if they want to find out more? So I think the best ones are thinkwithgoogle.com. So that's where we put all of our thought leadership, all of our research, white papers. There's tools where you can pull a lot of your own data. So that's where I would start. And then I briefly kind of hinted at it uh, in the, uh, the podcast in our discussion, Primer. So if you're a small business or a very small agency and you're looking for, hey, I just need a five-minute lesson on what this marketing concept is and, and so on, uh, that's an, there's an app for that. Uh, it's called Primer, uh, and, uh, and you can uh, download it in your favorite app store. And those would be the two places that I would start. Great. Well, listen, thanks so much for that. Again, 
Fab, really appreciate you being available for the show today. Um, to all our listeners, thank you for listening in. Uh, we love getting your feedback and comments, so keep that coming to us. You can find our archives of our back podcasts on Stitcher and SoundCloud and Google Play. We encourage you to listen, subscribe, share with friends, leave comments on those. Uh, we appreciate all of that. And we look forward to having you again when we have another episode of What I Wish I'd Known. <laughs>